0: My cats making sound too, so I'm going to keep it to myself <laughs> when I'm not talking.
1: Good to go. Did
0: you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I heard that.
1: <laughs> I'm Mike Leffer. And I'm Mike Ravenscroft. Welcome to Extreme Uncertainty, the not-within-these-four-walls episode.
0: Mr. Ravenscroft. Mr. Leffer.
1: What do you know about veterinary medicine?
0: Come on. That's unfair. I mean, do I ask you, what do you know about neuroscience? We're startup guys. We do widgets and other things of that nature.
1: (laughs) Well, I was uh, pre-med back in the day, but softball then. (laughs) What do you know about pet care?
0: Well, it should come as no surprise to you that I am a
1: cat person. It does not come as a surprise because we both have cats named Oscar, which is why we get along so well. (laughs) But I can ask you this. What bothers you about cat care? Uh,
0: Well, I suppose the things that bother me about healthcare more broadly, really, um, communication with your vet is generally difficult. Um, Paperwork sucks. It's hard to schedule appointments, that kind of thing. Not to mention in my house, pet care kind of fell off the cliff once we had our kid. It's hard to keep a toddler fed dressed and her fingers not stuck in electrical sockets without worrying about, you know, scheduling a vet appointment.
1: Are you aware that veterinarians are facing similar challenges? Minus the toddler, of course. There are around 32,000 veterinary practices in the U.S. alone. Most of these are family-owned and operated and rely heavily on the types of software most families use to run businesses. Think Excel, Word, Google Calendar. Now, when you think about the complexities of the average doctor's office, it's no wonder that most doctors use numerous software packages designed specifically for doctors to help them streamline their operations. Vets, by contrast, have almost been entirely overlooked by the market. They have none of the applications doctors use to make their lives easier. And like most problems within an industry as specialized as veterinary medicine, it takes someone highly familiar with the problem to really understand and envision a solution for it.
0: Are you about to coin the term vetpreneur?
1: Unfortunately, that's already in use by veteran entrepreneurs, but close enough. Our guest today is Mark Olcott, CEO and co-founder of VitusVet. VitusVet helps veterinarians improve connections with their clients and pet parents to increase customer retention, improve health outcomes for the pets, and grow practice revenue. Their SaaS and app-based platforms enable vets to easily communicate with pet parents to reduce their friction in the experience, streamline in-office workflows for veterinary practices, and most recently, improve the payment solutions that are available in the office and at the exam table. Since they launched in 2015, VitusFed has raised a Series A round financing from Nationwide Insurance, and their products are used by pet owners and vets in practices all across the country. Mark tells a phenomenal story today of the company's origins, including how he met his co-founder and business partner, Kalpesh Raval, and how they grew their business out of the challenges Mark saw when he was a practicing veterinarian. Mark also talks about how, in many ways, he was born an entrepreneur, and shares his insights from a career starting businesses, including drop shipping candy bars and he was in grade school, and finding creative ways to truly solve bothersome problems. Without further ado, this is Mark Olcott, CEO and co-founder of Vitus Fat in college. Mm-hmm. you know did you ever think you were going to be an entrepreneur? What was that journey like as well? So oh, yeah, I got be... some good
2: stories there, yeah. okay lifelong entrepreneur, I just recognize that kind of looking back now, uh, I've always been sort of doing this, so
0: yeah, well, so when did you get started like like um I mean, I guess you know uh, my first entrepreneur on, like, story is
2: uh, all back to uh, junior high when my bus stop was this um, Candy store. So I would go there in the morning, buy a bunch of gum and blow pops and whatnot, and take them into school and sell them in homeroom. And then I'd use the profit to like buy things that 13 year old boys are interested in, like buck knives and other cool stuff. So I never really, because that's not, you wouldn't guess that based on my personality. I'm a pretty, pretty strong introvert. Uh-huh. So selling stuff to, Basically, strangers in homeroom was not necessarily something you predict, but
0: right. Did you become known as the candy guy? Yeah. There? Oh yeah. 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 So people started to come to you with uh, their to get their morning fix or whatever. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. So this yeah. was in you yeah. said this was in junior high. Yeah. So okay. I was uh, that was
2: seventh eighth grade something like that. Fast forward to my time as a veterinarian. I mean, we I bought the practice that we were working at, um, and then somewhere in there started a mobile ultrasound business. So uh, I've always. Had kind of like these ideas and liking to do different things. I call it intellectual wanderlust, where I, I <laughs> kind of, I get, I don't, like I don't know if bored is the right word, but I. if you look back at my career, there's sort of these blocks of 7 to 10 years where I'm doing something, and then I'm doing something that's, there's a theme running through it, and usually the theme is animals, but it's something slightly different. So, and uh, that's actually... Before I started VitusVet, I, if I look back at my career and I wonder, like, why? I mean, there's, what is this all about? But it kind of now makes sense that it's all been building to this one experience where my unique career, both in general practice and as an emergency vet, it all kind of makes sense now when you look back. If I had looked back seven years ago, it would have seemed kind of disjointed, but it makes sense now.
1: Yeah, Mark Olcott, CEO of VitusVet, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We'd love to hear from you all about the mission of VitusVet and why you're doing what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, it's been quite an adventure, I guess. I, like many veterinarians, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I tell people that being a veterinarian is more of a calling than a job. So ever since I was 12 years old, it's all I've ever wanted to do. So I'm originally from upstate New York, went to college in western New York. stayed in New York to go to vet school at Cornell, and then I moved down to Maryland in the mid-90s. My first job as a vet, I was actually an equine veterinarian. I worked with horses. That's what brought me to the area. Uh And then after a couple years of that, I switched to small animal. And under the umbrella of small animal practice, I've been an associate veterinarian. I had a large practice down in Montgomery County, Maryland, in Germantown. Mm -hmm. Uh, I then bought that practice with a partner and I uh, did that for a while, started the mobile ultrasound business that I was talking about. I always had a real interest in cardiology and uh, the use of ultrasound as a diagnostic modality. Mm-hmm. So I thought my, my career was leading me toward being a cardiologist. Um, but for kind of family reasons and other things, I, I ended up uh, not pursuing a cardiology residency, but instead found myself as an emergency veterinarian at a large referral practice in Leesburg, Virginia. So prior to Vitus Vet, that's, that was my job for several years, an emergency vet at a large hospital. And I ran into this problem as an emergency vet where because of the way the information is shared in our profession, and by that I mean still primarily via fax, um, there's a near total lack of after hours medical record access in our industry, which is an a even bigger problem when your patients can't talk to you. Right. So, I, I guess when I, uh, all throughout my career, seeing problems or seeing inefficiencies, um, I don't know if you can call the general lack of candy in, in American Junior High as a problem, but <laughs> if I see problems, I like to solve them. So Specifically, it, it came down to a, a case of mine. I, I tell the story about a, a patient of mine one Sunday afternoon who came in to see me for a very simple bite wound. Mm -hmm. Uh, dog fight no big deal Uh, but it became a very big deal when the dog had a reaction to a medication and sadly ended up dying and the reason the dog died was because we didn't have a key piece of information that uh, afternoon and he had a a sensitivity to a particular anesthetic and that was written all over his medical record of the general practice where he where he'd had the initial reaction but this was two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And again, back to how our records shared via fax. Faxes don't work on weekends so forth. So that just really, really bothered me. I remember, I still remember it like it was yesterday. And um, so I went back to business school, met my co-founder Cal Pesh. We were classmates at the University of Maryland. And we started off trying to solve that problem, the lack of after hours medical record access. It was a great story where Guy goes to business school with this problem, no idea how to fix it, meets co-founder who's made a career out of technology but wasn't even a pet owner, yep. didn't even know the problem existed. Yeah. So we started off as an app that pet owners could download that, uh, that allowed them to access their veterinarian's database after hours. Oh, sort of like a medical passport sort of yeah. thing? For yeah, things? exactly right. Universal for health them? record, personal health record, and mm-hmm. kind of modeling on what's happening with and really even the U.S. military where how does your record follow you right. from the battlefield to Germany to Walter Reed. Right. They've got all that straightened out there. Right. In veterinary medicine, it's massively fragmented. Right. I'm in practices that have MRI machines and still fax records. Right. So it's terrible. And uh, when you start thinking about the outcomes of that, um, that just really bothered me. So that's how went started, trying to solve that particular problem using mobile technology and uh sort of grown from there but that's how it got started
1: i mean you're you were at least at the time in an interesting spot where you as a veterinarian were the customer Mm -hmm. of your product that you were building uh so did you go through or did you have to go through a typical customer discovery phase where you were interviewing other veterinarians oh yeah
2: for sure we did it because i didn't want it to be even now with our advisory board i didn't want it to be the world, according to me, um, I knew there was a I knew there was a kernel there. How big the problem was, uh, yeah. We did a lot of customer uh, discovery interviews. How big a problem is this? Um, how might you solve it? MVPs. I mean, we're sort of doing that now, even even with Vitus Fed as we release newer products. We have a teammate now that's down. A couple of teammates that are down in Florida right now, interviewing practices, showing them an MVP of a product that we're going to roll out later this year and they're getting you know I've got pictures of them in a treatment room where our one of my teammates Brandon is there with four or five veterinary technicians like just interviewing them so I'm a big believer in that not only as an entrepreneur but also as a veterinarian like I I just as soon avoid mistakes if I can how do I learn from other people yeah um as, what is it, Steve Blank says, the answers are not within these four walls, <laughs> you know. So how do we get out there and and find that stuff out? Right. So I think I, maybe I have a bias toward that as a, as a scientist to be a little bit skeptical of what I think I know. Um, but right. to take what we know and then balance it with, you know, the, the truth on the street.
0: Well, so to, to that end, you said you started out as an app. Yeah. Um, did you pivot after, um, cause it, cause it, it's evolved since then, right? Like, yeah, it's evolved how, really evolved?
2: well to a full communication platform for veterinary practice was where mobile is one of the things we do mm-hmm. for them. So we have a practice app, um, and we do, uh, email reminders, text reminders. Really what our, our platform does is help veterinarians tighten that connection with their clients, pet owners. Veterinary medicine, in that regard, is probably more like dentistry than human medicine. We don't have insurance, so analogies to human medicine are usually more harmful than helpful. So the average general practice, equine practice, same thing. It's all about wellness care. Mm -hmm. Right? How do I, if you have pets, those pets need care. Depending on the frequency of which, depends on their age, their health status. But the bottom line is, how do I? keep you coming in? How do I keep you engaged in that wellness? We call it compliance. That's a loaded term. In other industries, it means a lot of other things. But for veterinarians, compliance means if you have a dog, that dog needs to come in at least once a year. And our tools help make that happen. And so what we're trying to do is drive friction out of that, what is right now, a very telephone-heavy process. You know, postcard reminders, and then call us to make an appointment. So we want to make that a lot more digital, a lot
1: easier for the pet owner. In selling to to businesses today, you know, there's a lot of talk about can you create uh, real value or generate generate value for the other the business and your your customer. In this case, are you helping the practices generate revenue lift or how does that work with the reminders? And- yeah, it's all about revenue lift. Yeah, they'd be out of
2: business without reminders. So the whole uh, the whole core of a veterinary practice is wellness visits, you come in. Um, it's, it's an interesting transition in the industry. Over the last 20 years, it's been very much a immunization base, like your dog, they need their shots. And that a lot of that came out of some uh, even some disease epidemics. There was a disease called Parvovirus that came through the United States in the 70s and 80s and killed. Uh, I mean, millions of dogs and so there was a vaccine that was developed for that mm-hmm. uh, at Cornell by the way, plug for Leland <laughs> um, the Parvo vaccine saved millions of lives so there was a lot of that they need their shots, they need their shots right. now we're learning that some of these immunizations they don't necessarily need every year um, some vaccines you may need more than that, like for example we live in a Lyme endemic area right. so it's But the messaging is more about, they need their immunizations, but really what I want is for you to bring your pet in so that we can have a conversation. Um, Are you having any behavioral problems? Let's talk about diet. Let's do a thorough physical exam. He may look okay to you, but I promise you there's probably some things going on, whether it's dental disease, heart murmurs, um, where if we can identify problems, the number one killer of cats, for example, is, is kidney disease. And if we can identify that earlier before you as a cat owner recognize that there's a problem, but if I can have that conversation with you and ask you a couple of questions in an exam, we can add years to your cat's life. Sure. So the idea is I need you to come in. That's the idea. And I know that people are really busy and they're, you know, they're up to here with life. We want to make it real easy for Traditionally, it's the, it's the woman of the household who makes the pet care decisions. Mm-hmm. And like my wife, she's real, real busy. So when I talk, and I just came back from San Diego speaking at a big veterinary conference, and I talked about, you know, the veterinarians or the practice owners, their mental model of who their client is is changing dramatically. You know, the way that millennial wants to do business is dramatically different than a boomer or a member of the silent generation. And a lot of the 60-ish plus year old owners of veterinary practices, they haven't got that memo yet.
0: Yeah, how do you, you know? see this changing? Like, like what, what, are we, what are you sort of hearing from veterinarians? What are you seeing personally?
2: Well, when, I, when I, I ask a rhetorical question of veterinarians, and I'll say, what percent of your practice revenue has to come through the telephone? Mm-hmm. And the truthful answer is usually it's 99%, and that is a consumer mismatch where the modern pet owners, not just millennials, but introverts, (laughs) busy people in general, they don't want to call you on the phone, right? So the veterinarian's entire business model is still telephone fax. And when you pull on the thread even more, you start realizing um, it's still a profession that is very doctor-centered. They talk a good game about how they're client service-oriented. They're really not. You know, if they were really client service oriented, um, it would be a making an appointment would be much more like an open table experience Right. or getting medication refill really would be like Amazon Right. right now. The message is call us and that might've worked in 2005, but it doesn't work now. So veterinarians have been fortunate in that they've been able to get away with that for decades because there hasn't been that much competition. You know, there's, there's not, that's changed. Not only be, between the every year, veterinary schools kick out more and more graduates. The average size of the veterinary school is increasing. Um, so in all of these folks, it just makes it a lot more competitive. And as I tell veterinarians, their biggest competitor is actually just those of your clients who choose not to seek care mm-hmm. for whatever reason. They haven't been in in three, four, five years. They love their pet. They think they're doing the right thing. But for whatever reason, they just are not compliant. And our tools just make it really difficult for that client to slip through the cracks. Multi-channel communications between text and email and push and a postcard backup. Uh, We've been able to show significant lift in compliance and revenue and client retention. So um,
0: it's really about helping veterinarians communicate with their clients in the way that they want to. Uh, to to go back to what you're saying about this sort of new generation of, of vets coming in uh, who are you know coming out of veterinary school now who are who are younger maybe in their yep. like mid to late twenties um, do you say, see them as being part of the pull there uh, that they want to move away from the fax machine which they probably oh, sure. were never taught how to yeah, use absolutely use yeah they ahead. get it. there's two groups of people who get Vitus Vet instantly
2: mm-hmm. one of them is pet owners right when we talk about that after hours medical record access either they or someone they know has had an in, uh, a scenario like that happened to them where they really wish they could have had their records right here. And when you give it to them, it's very powerful. Um, Not only for the pet owner, it makes them raving fans for that veterinary practice. Um, So the pet owners really get it, but then veterinary students is the other one. So the digital natives, the millennials that are now in veterinary school, they frankly are surprised why something like this doesn't already exist. You know, so um, you know we have competition for sure. Uh, what we what the way I describe what we do to veterinarians or practice managers is is our software sort of lays on top of their practices existing software, the software that they use to run their business, that they type medical records on, that they would do drug labels, that they would do inventory management. But most of those tools that run in veterinary practices do a decent job of the veterinary practice stuff, they're terrible at anything client facing. You know, that evolves so quickly, like most of them don't even have a texting solution in almost 2020. So we're able to, because we're only focused on that connection between the veterinarian and the pet owner, we're able to evolve much more quickly and iterate faster because we don't make practice management software. We sit on top of your existing
1: system. How do you, given the disparity between the understanding of the new veterinary students and the older generation of, of veterinarians, how do you educate and how, do, how is that education process? Uh, that's a great question
2: part? because it's an area that I wish I knew a few years ago what I know now. We, I used to, I, we came out of business school thinking that this is, I know, how do we sell Vitus Vet to the practice owner because it's about economics because I can document the lift and revenue and all that. What we found actually is that may be true, but the first person we're t- talking to is not the practice owner, it's the practice manager. Usually she um, is not necessarily, if you, if you talk to her about purely economics, about revenue generation, and we can make your, the door swing, that makes them a little bit nervous because one of the problems they're dealing with simultaneously is that the, the front desk and office hours are a zoo. So you're telling me you're going to make me even busier than I already am? I don't think so. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) No, I I don't necessarily want that. So what are the messages there? So for them, it's about how to use technology to simplify your life. That millennial who applied uh, to be your uh, client service representative, right? The front desk team member. How do I make her life easier? How can I... It turns out that what we can offer you is more appointments less phone calls, less front desk chaos, right? So now that person who, uh, who really applied to work in your veterinary practice, if you told them they were going to be spending 70% of their time on the telephone, they would not have applied for what I just talked about. The telephone, they don't want to talk on the phone. They applied so that they can talk to people and talk to pets and engage with them and what a great place I can help animals. Instead, the reality all too often is I'm on the phone all the time, and I'm faxing records, which sucks. Right. Um, so our tool can dramatically simplify their life and allow them to provide better client service for their clients.
0: Because
2: yeah. they, too, went into this to take care of pets. I mean, you know, their veterinary school is really hard to get into. There's a lot of other things that people who go to vet school could do in any other graduate school they can get into, this is, as I said, it's a calling, not a job. It's the it's the lowest paying of all the four-year degree schools by far. Um, so they don't go into it to really make a lot of money. They go into it to have a connection with pet owners and pets. It's, it's really who they are. So what we're trying to do is take those friction points, take those hurdles out of your way so that you can engage with that client in
0: the exam room and yeah. in the waiting room. Yeah, and so, so, so beyond the, the sort of front office support that you guys provide, um, how do you facilitate that connection between uh, pet owner and and vet?
2: I think the the simplest thing is we're just trying to get you in the door so you can have a conversation with a veterinarian. I mean, that's really what the, the core of all this wellness is. If you want your pet to live a long, healthy life, you need to have a regular, active relationship with your veterinarian. Because I can tell you, dogs, cats, you name the species, They are really good at hiding disease. So, um, an annual exam is sort of the core of uh, what your dog or cat or pocket pet, you name it. Whatever your veterinarian tells you to do, whether it's horses, doesn't matter. You should be doing that. And what we want to make, what we try and do is just make it easier for you to have that conversation, to at least come in and forget about the shots for a second. Let's just have that conversation. And have a physical exam. So, what we're just trying to do is tear down friction points that keep
0: pet owners out of exam rooms. Um, so, you're at the University of Maryland yep. I'm getting your MBA. Um, and you met your co-founder, uh, whose name is? Kelpesh, Ravel. Kelpesh. Yeah. Um, so uh, what, what was that like? And what was the sort of journey from um, you know first uh, becoming acquainted to actually wanting to start a business together?
2: Yeah, the great thing about Maryland's uh, MBA program is it's very entrepreneurial focused. And we had, uh, at the time, they were called action learning uh, projects where members of the team could pitch the class on an idea that they had. And the winning ideas. They pick three winning ideas, and then you could, the the person behind those winning ideas could draft a team and use your classmates to get your idea from an idea to maybe something that, you know, is there something here? Or is there not something here? So um, I was able to pitch Calpesh on this idea of of helping me, and what I think resonated with him was the idea of using technology to solve a problem, so technology with a purpose. That's a great thing that we have going for us now, even from a recruiting standpoint, is that our software literally saves pets' lives. Not everybody can say that about what they do every day. So we're contributing to this mission of, of, at the end of every one of those reminders, postcards, phone calls, what have you, texts, now a pet is getting the care that their veterinarian recommends. So that's really what it's all about. We just had our offsite a couple of weeks ago. I really try and drill this into the team that let's not forget that this is technology with a purpose and at the end of the day, it's that pet who can't advocate for themselves. They can't speak for themselves. Um, we're doing that for them. So that's that's really important to who we are.
1: So you work with Kalpesh in this small group. How did you know he was the, a good fit how did what was that decision process? Like? Yeah, well, that's that great. Moment?
2: We, we complemented each other really well from a personality standpoint. I knew that to get something like this off the ground, I I needed a uh, technology co-founder. I mean, I just I knew that, and I'm also very much a um, you know that that dichotomy rich versus king that you probably heard about in business school. You know. Both of us were, were not control freaks. I knew that in order for this to get legs, I'd have to bring people on, you know, so I would much rather have 10% of a very big, successful company than 100% of nothing. As cliche as that sounds, a lot of people don't really get that. So I knew I had to recruit people on, and, and it was just an, a no-brainer that Kalpesh and I really, we gelled pretty well, even to this day. I mean, we balance each other very, very well. So Vitacin wouldn't exist without him period full stop so it's um, and then we've grown since then and I think one of the things we've made a lot of mistakes as a company for sure and one of the things we've done pretty well is identifying the areas where we are weak and to try and fill those um, those spots on the team as we've grown now we're 35 people uh, here and we've moved into Baltimore and
0: it's fantastic yeah and so, um, so, so after post-founding, um, you know, you and Kalpash uh, write some code, do some customer discovery. Uh, what was that uh, sort of uh, process like from the point where you have, you know, like an idea to an MVP to then when you started getting your first customers? Yeah, discovery? we had uh, a
2: little bit of an advantage in that I had at that point a 15, 20 year track record as a veterinarian in the area and I knew a bunch of people between my mobile ultrasound practice as an emergency vet taking calls from dozens of local veterinarians. So I had a pool of practices and a pretty good idea of who was forward thinking that we could reach out to for this MVP and say, you know, listen, this is, this is what we think, um, you know, would you be willing to try this? And um, so we were able to, to really take advantage of local veterinary practices and get real feedback right from the start. The way the product started, um, it started off as an app for pet owners, but really, the uh, initial our initial customers were emergency and specialty practices who had a pain point around sharing records every morning with their referring veterinarians. So, um, like in human medicine, specialty and emergency veterinary medicine is a hub and spoke model, where that referral practice in Leesburg would have fifty to hundred spoke practices if you will they weren't affiliated they, they weren't co-owned they just sent all their cases into the emergency clinic overnight and then that emergency clinic had the obligation to share the records back to the general practice the next day so that's actually how it started um and it was really an interesting learning process our initial go-to-market theory was that by working with emergency and specialty practices they could help us Push our software into those general practices you know so sort of from a hub out to the spokes uh, it turned out that not to be the case that the the emergency and specialty practices didn't have the kind of influence that we thought they would um, and it sort of reinforced one of our other theories was that the real power in this whole relationship not surprisingly is the consumer is the pet owner so that's why we have since Try to make tools to solve problems for pet owners. After Hours Medical Record Access is one of them. We have a great partnership with Nationwide Pet Insurance. Turns out that a big pain point for insured uh, pets, for people who had uh, uh, insurance policies, was filing claims, right? Very fax heavy, kind of cumbersome process. We built a, uh, a process into our app that allows Nationwide policy they call members so nationwide pet insurance members to file a claim in 30 seconds with their smartphone so we're really all about if we can solve pain points for pet owners that will inure to the veterinarian's benefit so the more compelling that tool is to me them the better that channel is and now i can from a from a veterinarian standpoint i can send reminder messages through the app i can I can do a lot of different things, but the key, our viewpoint is, it's all about creating a tool for the pet owner that resonates with them.
1: Um, You've got, the app has thousands and thousands of five-star reviews on the App Store. So obviously you've generated a ton of value. Have you found a way to systematize the process of getting those pet parents to push it on the practices? What we found is that You'd like to
2: think that veterinarians would be responsive to pet owners. It hasn't really necessarily gotten to the point where a pet owner that says, wow, this app is really cool, you guys should check it out. You know, they're not necessarily to that point yet, or at least not at scale. What we found is that we can use, our sales team can use that and say, hey, doctor, or, you know, Madam Practice Manager, Mr. Practice Manager, We've got uh, 75 of your clients using our app for downloading claims, and it does a couple of other really cool things. Can I get 10 minutes of your time to talk about that? That piques their curiosity enough to at least get a demo. Mm-hmm. And once we get a demo, we've got them. Yep. Our big thing is just visibility, because a lot of these, in a lot of these highly fragmented SMB businesses, um, veterinarians aren't the only one, the restaurant industry, spas, you name it, there's a lot of other verticals optometrists, dentists. They just have their head down, and they want to provide medical care. And part of my message when I speak to groups like this is technology moves real fast. So um, they need to get right with technology. Like telemedicine right now is a big thing that's uh, being talked about in our industry. And while we have this concept of a real-time video concept with my veterinarian, that's still several years away. What every v- practice should be doing now is enabling texting and picture sharing to their clients. That's still, you know, hardly any practices are able to do that, which is kind of stunning given that, you know, texting, the success and popularity of texting is not really a news flash, You know, I mean how many multi-billion dollar companies are there in the world right now that are merely evidence to the fact that human beings like to text and share pictures. So we're trying to make sure that veterinarians get that message. And so that the focus that they have on telephone etiquette, is really kind of, kind of interesting where you'll, I'll see when I go to these conferences, sessions on telephone
1: etiquette. <laughs>
2: when in fact, kind of the, the message really ought to be, you ought to throw your telephone in the dumpster.
1: It's gonna be Snapchat etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah,
2: or, or you ought to be just as available yeah. to texting and emailing. You know, for a, for a practice that says they're client service oriented. But then you send them an email and you get a bounce back that says, We try and respond to these within 48 hours. Like, come on. So that's where business school for me, not only meeting Calpech, but really having an eye opening, getting religion moment um, where now I feel like this is another phase of my career where I'm trying to be a, um, trying to share the message to my colleagues that you don't have 10 years to figure this out. So, not only what's happening with increasing veterinary graduates coming into the areas making more competitive, but companies like Chewy, companies like Walmart are coming after um, specifically veterinary pharmacy revenue and and veterinary exam revenue revenue in a way that our industry's never faced. We've never had really well-run companies like those in our rearview mirror. For example, the the often the number two source of revenue in a general practice and the number one source of profit over the last 15 or so years has been pharmacy. Right? So a big difference between a veterinary practice and a physician practice or a dentist practice is veterinarians still generate a lot of revenue from an in-house pharmacy.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So now you have Chewy coming after that very aggressively, and they're a very well-run business. Like,
2: so as I am out talking to veterinarians, the message is you've got to make it simpler to do business with you. Um, yeah. If your message is, here's your six-month supply of heartworm preventive, call us when you
0: need more, that's a fail. That is a massive fail. Yeah. And, um, Do you think generally that vets are aware of that, that 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 kind of incursion is starting, or is it only the younger? Uh, I don't think they are uh, really. Yeah, or I think that they.
2: <clears throat> I think that um, they're going to get the message too late. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, companies. It's not just Chewy. I mean, any other the online pharmacies in general have seen the revenue opportunity that's there, and they're trying to go after it. I don't blame them, and I, I'm not sure that veterinarians will wake up in time to really. Uh, to preserve that as a revenue stream. And maybe maybe they shouldn't be, you know. I mean, I'm a believer in the market. I think that there's a way to preserve that where um, maybe the ideal is that uh, you have a, as a veterinarian, I can give you a few months as a starter supply, but I recognize that either, you know, we have an online pharmacy as, at the level of the practice, or you can find it better online. Um, but we're sort of in that process where veterinarians are still trying to are realizing that there is 100% price transparency. Like I can, if you're going to charge me $70 for a six month supply of heartworm preventative, and literally in the exam room, that client can price check that. And if it's $45 somewhere else, well now doctor, you've ripped me off. So screw you, I'm not coming back. You know, that's kind of the way the next generation thinks. And, mm-hmm. They don't care, I mean, I get it, I was a practice owner, I know that shelf space, I know the cost of the facility, I know all that, it doesn't matter. That's a commodity and commodities are purchased based on price and that's a battle that they likely can't win. Right. So um, that's kind of part of the message that the days of being able to mark that up 100, 200% are over. Right. You can make some money there, but you have to make it a couple dollars at a time at scale And then if you're going to do that, you have to answer the question as well, that pet owner wants that drug delivered to their house. Can you solve that problem? There are some solutions. There are online pharmacies in in veterinary medicine that are out there to help veterinarians compete. Um, But if their message is, you know, call us and we'll sell it to you out of our supply in the back. That doesn't scale. That's not a good place to be.
1: I gotta gotta jump in and ask about something kind of off topic. I'm an MBA. You're an MBA. Other mics about to be MBA. an MBA. <laughs> right? How important is an MBA to entrepreneurship? Would love to hear your thoughts on that. I think um, if the if the program has
2: it as a focus and they really walk the talk, it can be tremendously valuable. This company wouldn't exist without that EMBA program. Mm-hmm. Um, I think programs vary tremendously, you know, so I would say I got tre- a tremendous value out of it that may be peculiar to the program that I did. I wouldn't say that uh, every aspiring entrepreneur should do an MBA. In fact, there's probably a, a lot of people like uh, I can imagine what Larry Ellison would talk about that. He probably would scoff at that pretty loudly, but uh, I got value out of it. If for no other reason than, than the people, like I met my co-founder. Um, that's a the, pretty big table, the community, guess, yeah. the community of alumni that you can plug into, that's very, very valuable. Mm-hmm. So I would say, on balance, it is for those two reasons uh, alone. Even if you don't learn anything in school about it, right. um, so I think there's tremendous value to it. We've been able to engage. There's members of our advisory board, formal and informal, that I still talk to. You know, and we graduated uh, six and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. So, I can always reach out, and um, it's great having a,
0: a um, relationship with really smart people to be able to whiteboard stuff with. Sure. So. Well, to follow, to, to follow up on that question, what have you learned since the MBA, uh, you know, since launching the business that you, that you did not yeah. learn business? School? Like, what, what are some of the lessons from the street, I guess, of being an entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. It's fascinating, and it's like a puzzle. It's embarrassing. Like, if I go back and look at the, our first decks from business school and whatnot, like, it's almost laughably bad. Bad, bad. bad in that that's what we thought. It turned out not to be true. That's part of the process. Mm. So what, we, what we're what we doing now is dramatically different, on the one, on one hand, from what we started off doing. On the other hand, we're still a mobile-oriented company that's using technology to improve the connection between Pet owners and veterinarians—that's the same. Right. Um, so that's a thread that continues to go through that. Now, as we continue on from software tools for veterinary practices, uh, we think there's an opportunity in, in, um, in payments as well, and doing merchant card processing and helping veterinarians take some of that data and combine it with the data that we have from their practice management software system, and that, and just using it to create insights, using it to create. Um, like segment of one marketing, right? So I know a lot about you as a pet owner and I can, Vitus, I can be a partner to veterinary practices where um, would you like to be able to reach out and talk to all owners of nine-year-old boxers who uh, have purchased a joint supplement? I can have a pretty interesting conversation with those 743 of your clients to educate them. Not about pushing coupons to them, but just to educate to them. Like here's some interesting happy birthday. You know, Brody just turned nine years old. Here's three things you ought to know as the owner of a nine-year-old boxer. Things that a veterinarian would really not be able to do right. in their own practice. But we can do that. Because now not only do I have the information about your pool of nine-year-old boxers, but what else do we know about them? So that That's really taking data and creating insights. That only a company that sits on top of hundreds or thousands of practices can do. Um, that's really really interesting.
0: So um, we've talked a lot about um, sort of you know the, the the start of your journey, the um, the, the pulling together of the uh, the early team. Um, the customer discovery. I'm curious, um, you know, uh, what your sort of, I guess, period in the desert was, you know, where you're sort of trying to figure out product market fit and you're trying to get to your first customer. Maybe it's that first capital raise, but I'm just curious, you know, um, given you know where you are now and where you started, what do you think uh, was the toughest part of that, of that entire journey?
2: Probably the uh, realizing that um, the whole, when we started the company, the whole idea of sharing records between veterinarians was going to be a, a, a core piece of this to now realize, realize we don't even do that anymore. Like the whole thing that we started the company on, we pivoted away from, that we don't provide that service to emergency practices and specialists anymore. So that period where we realized that they just weren't the influencers that we thought they were, and that we really just needed to double down on uh, that connection between veterinarian and pet owner. Now we have specialists and emergency practices that use our software, but they use it to engage pet owners, not to share information back and forth. Right. So that was pretty tough. Finally realizing that that wasn't uh, that wasn't happening. And, oh,
0: longer than, um, that, uh,
2: that longer than it should have. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Geez, I mean, various experiments, probably a year or so. Yep. Yeah, just finally realizing that, uh, you know, like that book, right? They're just not all that into you. <laughs> uh, you know? So just realizing that, uh, you know, it's a, a, uh, a solution or a uh, – what is it? A solution or a problem, a problem in search of a problem. Yeah, yeah. A solution in search of a problem or, you know, they think it's a big pain point, but they're not willing to pay for it. Right. That's the other thing, too, really eye-opening – a conversation we had with one of our advisory board members, uh, JV, who we, this was a couple of years ago now, and, um, you know, he works in another vertical of small and medium-sized businesses, the restaurant industry, and it was really eye-opening to realize that in any of those type of businesses, they just, they don't have the profit margin to afford, to afford 10000 a month software licenses. They just, right. they don't have it. Right. So, but if you want to make interesting software, uh, you can't really make interesting software for uh, an industry the size of veterinarians where there's 30,000 veterinary practices. There's probably 30,000 restaurants in New York City alone. So, how do you, we have to evolve and how do you find other sources of revenue? Whether it's postcard revenue or how do you find additional revenue streams so that you can continue to provide awesome software to veterinarians but um, even though you may be able to show them a P&L statement that says, I have to charge you $4,000 a month for this software, they don't care either. You know That's nice, they don't have $4,000 a month, so what else you got? Right.
0: right. You know,
2: so just trying to solve that problem um, has been, as I said, a puzzle. Um, we've got it figured out, we've had it figured out for you know, probably the last, uh, I'd say six to 12 months. Now we're really just trying to take what we've learned and scale it and add in ad- additional re- uh, revenue streams, but the core offering of what we sell to veterinarians, what we charge them for, that's really clear right now. Now it's just a matter of having more of those conversations. You know, and that's marketing.
0: When did you, at what point did you start thinking about uh, the culture of the, of the company? You know, I mean, you've talked a lot about the mission, you've talked about how you're mission driven and, and um, it sounds like you're recruiting people who share that. Um, how would you describe the culture at Buzzfeed, and what what do you what do you think about when you're when you're actually building that? Like, how much do you think you know uh, about the culture actively versus you know it's something that's just sort of an iterative process? I'm just curious what you're. No, we we about. built it in from day one. That's something that we uh,
2: that we the, the culture of the company are. Core values that we use um, that we're constantly taking out and iterating as a team. We talk about it a lot at the off-site, but just a very um, trying to be a, a flat organization that's collaborative is such a cliche, but we really, really try and take out silos. Like we, we our software helps veterinarians remove silos. So how do we, especially as we grow, how do we how about half, two thirds of our teams here in Baltimore, we have a significant number of team members that are in Florida and Colorado, all over the country. How do we use technology, whether it's Slack or Zoom, uh, bringing people in periodically, how do we use that so that there isn't silos within VitusVet as well? So we're really able to talk to each other and um, not have those assumptions that we make about each other that can slow people down. So we've been very intentional about that, really, from day one, about hiring people who are uh, who are pet lovers, who really see the connection between this code that I'm writing is saving lives. Those are the sort of people that we want to talk to, that we want to be working with. Or the folks that are talking to veterinarians that are on the sales team or the marketing team or the quality assurance or support team, really, at the end of the day, it's not about Support and quality assurance. It's how do we use that in furtherance of our goal To help pets live happier healthier longer lives because really you really come down to it We're really in the business of unconditional love. It's really what pets are um, So to the extent that we can foster that I mean, we're we're technology one of our professors you'd be lucky if you get the opportunity to have Joe Bailey is a professor at Maryland. Oh, He's fantastic. He is fantastic. And he always talked about when it's, we talk about information technology, forget the technology, it's about information. And how do we how do we use this information? Turn data into insights for the betterment of pets' health is really kind of what we're all about. And if that resonates, we'd
1: love to talk to you. Extremely well said. I'd love to sort of follow up on what you said because it sounds like you've had a lot of experience hiring and, and expanding the team. And I, I'm in this position now where I'm in a hiring manager position for my, my company and firm and for other companies we work with. Have you had any horror stories and lessons learned throughout that process as you've expanded your team? And you don't have to mention any names, but yeah, sure. I'd love to hear.
2: I think one of the things we've been – we need to be better at – we need to walk the talk is to use data, Yeah. right? I mean, the, the, that is pretty eye opening about how bad human beings are at interviewing, and there's some techniques and whatnot that you can do. But we really want to do better at 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 um, using things like uh, personality testing, disc testing, those sorts of things for two reasons. One, um, to make sure that the person that is hiring for a sales job has the sort of tools or personality to succeed at a sales job. And number 2, um so to avoid horror stories, if you can find somebody that they may they may talk a great game. They're, you know, I don't, I don't mean to use sales as a as a particular instance, but very often those are dynamic people who can sell and they can be very convincing that what they that they can make a tremendous impact. But a well-written test, and there are some of them, it's really hard to fool those. So we'd like to use those a little bit better, not only as a screening tool, but then primarily is as a management tool is once you do join the team, I know there are some potential um, potholes here that we want to in full transparency with that new team member we want to be able to manage around. Sure. Like for example, if you have a like myself, if you have this D de- if you're a learner, how do I feed that need? How do I get you hooked up with an audible subscription so you can listen to postcon tape? How do I send you to CE events? How do I know that so it's not a surprise? Um the way I've heard it explained to me is that if you don't use these tools in a traditional interview process it's probably 50/50. Mm-hmm. You know as to whether or not you're going to be able to hire somebody that can be a successful team member for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you wrap in these tools it's 75-80%. That's worth doing. A great thing about business school is I learned a ton about myself. We have a coaching program that's part of it that I really am a big believer in. So I think it's great for people to just reinvent themselves periodically. That's what I love doing too. So uh, I know both of you have done that as well. So my hat's off to you for doing that. But uh, as one lifelong learning to another, thank you. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah. I really appreciate
0: it. Great insights from a lifelong entrepreneur and a Maryland MBA to boot. Though, honestly, I think he should have stuck with his candy business. There's so much money in candy. I prefer
1: the vet business.
0: Yeah, I guess it's better for humanity. Or the animal kingdom, I guess.
1: Better for my waistline. Thanks to Mark and his team at VitusVet. You can check out all the tools Mark and his team are building to make vets and pet owners happier and healthier at VitusVet.com. And you can follow them at VitusVet on Twitter. As a bonus, there's a lot of cute pictures of kittens and puppies on their website. Highly recommend. Our episode today was edited by our in-house beat junkie, Mike Ravenscroft. Our music is by Reactor Productions, and our logo is by Priya Arunachalam. As always, embrace the uncertainty. Thanks for listening.